Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It's Friday, November 19th, and I am so excited to introduce Rebel Brown to you. Rebel, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Um, I am currently an author and a speaker, and I'm also a corporate gun for hire. Um, I have been a strategy, business, positioning, and turnaround consultant in high-tech and complex products for 22 years. I've had my own consulting business, Um, and I have focused primarily on, well, I focused on helping companies, whether they be early-stage companies, um, you know, startups, early-stage, mid-stage, start-arounds that have kind of hit a wall and trying to figure out how they grow all the way to turnarounds. Um, I've helped them identify their best opportunities for growth from a product standpoint and a product strategy solution standpoint all the way out to marketing and market positioning, out to sales process and company strategy, everything basically but finance and administration and the back end, which I don't get involved in. <laughs> and I've done that since I was since 1989 was when I started my consulting business. Wow. Yes. I well, was I got to I know you. I'm sorry, what? I said I was three years old when I started. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, we were all very, very early we were all very young. on this call. <laughs> um, you know, it's so interesting. I, I A couple of weeks ago, uh, Cynthia and I had been talking about different folks that we might consider uh, to have as our guest. And, you know, there there are a couple of people that I hold in just an amazingly high regard. And one one is Bob Berg, um, who is one of the co-authors of a book called The Go-Giver. And uh, I had interviewed him on my radio shows a couple of years ago and gotten to know he and his co-author and then met Tom, uh, Tom Scott, through him. And they run a very, very interesting conference every spring. And I've never been able to go uh, because it conflicts with a, a women's conference that I go to every spring. And this year it's later and my conference is earlier, so I'm going to get to go. And I thought, well, you know what? I should just ask Tom and Bob who who I should have as the, the keynote speaker at uh, the Executive Women's Forum. And they, of course, very politically correctly, Tom sent me a long list of names uh, of which – uh, you know, Libby was one who you got most of you guys know, Libby Gill, who's on our board, and Svetlana Kim was on the list, which, uh, you know, Svetlana has, has also been a guest on, on the Egg Show. But I had this email very, very quickly back from Rebel. And, you know, I loved the fact, first of all, that she stepped way ahead of the pack by doing that. And then when I saw her book, which is called Defy Gravity, and you know it and i didn't know at the time because i ha- i didn't actually dig into the table of contents or, or i hadn't ordered the book yet but when we were talking earlier today she started talking to me about how she uses kind of an airline flight metaphor uh, for the book, and on the book cover, if you got a chance to look at it, she's actually standing sideways, and the I'm words actually defy. Not standing sideways. Well, I know you're not, but on the book cover, it looks like you are. No, I'm not standing. I'm actually float. I'm actually laying out, laying down, floating. Really? Yep. Cool. Cool. Yep. But then the words defy gravity are actually upside down, and you know, as you guys know, I'm I'm such a, a uh, an opponent to status quo 
that it just so thoroughly appealed to me that right away, you know, I got in touch with Cynthia and I said, we have found our speaker. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm just so glad you were able to make it today because as I had mentioned, we had another speaker lined up for today and, and we had a scheduling challenge and I was out at Focus Right all week. So, uh, thanks to, uh, those of you who are here, uh, specifically to hear about growth. If you were here to hear about style and your success, we're going to do that next week. So, with that, why don't you just tell me a little bit about what led up to writing this particular book? And and is this your first book? This is my first business book. I actually have a novel that I wrote two years ago that needs to be edited, and then we're going to get it, and then I've got a publisher for it. And I'm actually working on a third book right now. So, uh, But this is the first business book. So what made you write a business book after you had been spending all of this time out with your different clients? Well, it was my clients that kind of led me to do this because for the last probably 10 years, I'd say, my business associates and my clients have been looking at me saying, would you please write a book? And I started to about, it was about 10 years ago, I started to, and um, my mother, you know, I'm an only child of two only children, and my mother had a stroke, and then my dad had cancer, and then a friend of mine had AIDS and was sick, and I ended up spending nine years taking care of sick people, sick and dying mm. people. And so I didn't get the chance to write the book. And when I came out of that whole, that whole, you know, and started to go, okay, so what am I going to do? Because I was consulting through all that. I went back to consulting, but you know what? The more and more I looked around and I looked at the economy and I looked at what was happening and I said, you know what? I have to write this book now because... What I had seen, whether companies were, whether my clients were small businesses, uh, Soho, you know, solo entrepreneurs, big companies, middle-sized companies, it didn't matter what their situation is. There was one thing they all had in common, and that is what I call gravity. And gravity is the status quo ways of thinking and doing things that get us into trouble. You know, I, I have a saying that I, I have something that I tell everybody. The way we've always done it is the reason for the mess we're in. And if we're not in a mess, if we keep doing things the way we've always done them, we will be in a mess. Right. Because, well, and you know what? It's Here's the thing. It's people go, oh, well, but gravity, you know, gravity, oh, well, that sounds bad. We are, we all have gravity. We have it in our personal lives, and that means we have it in our business lives because you can't separate human being and human nature from business. We, we don't stop being humans in business. We are humans. And we are, by our nature, natural-born gravity machines. It is in our DNA. And the reason for that is we are also learning machines. And that means we learn from our experiences, both positive and negative. We learn from family and friends and teachers and, and mentors and and coaches. And we take all of that learning and we kind of bundle it all up into beliefs about ourselves, our world, our business, what we can and can't do, what works and what doesn't. And over time, those beliefs become knowns and truths. And over more time, they become traditions and legends and, and status quo, and they become gravity they, because it weighs us down, because we get stuck in seeing things and thinking about things and following processes that are not necessarily in sync with our current market or our current situation, even you know whether it be in our personal or our business life, because everything around us has accelerated. If you think about it, the way look at the travel industry, 
the way we did things two years ago is not even the same as it is today. The way customers book travel has changed dramatically because of the Internet. The way we communicate with customers, the way customers choose who they're going to work with, everything has changed and accelerated. And if we're stuck in gravity and in the status quo way we've done things, then we're most likely not in sync with what's going to make us valuable and highly compelling to our markets and our customers today. And we're certainly not on the path to increase that compelling and distinction in the future because we're focused on the past instead of where we're going. Well, absolutely. And, you know, your your very first chapter of the book starts out by talking about the importance of change. And, and that that actually is the anti-gravity. And, and the subtitle for that chapter is Releasing the Status Quo is our first step towards sustainable growth. And, you know, I just came from this industry conference. It's a, it's a huge deal. As I said, they, they spend a million dollars on production. I mean, it's really beautiful from, you know, from the minute you walk in the door, it's just highly produced and, and flows perfectly. Um, but they spent the entire three days pretty much talking about the air traveler, uh, you know, which in our industry is the status quo, but it's only 15% of the market. And the other 85%, which isn't quite as, as sexy, is, you know, that's the real market, and that, that's what's going to give them sustainable growth. So how do you get out of that, that gravitational pull of the status quo? Well, I think, you know, first of all, we as, as humans – and, and this, a lot of this is human nature. We are built to take our beliefs and, you know, we, when we, we want to be safe and we want to be comfortable, right? So if our markets are getting, you know, tighter and tighter and, you know, everybody's saying, oh, nobody's going to survive, oh, blah, blah, we, you know, fear enters the equation. As soon as fear enters the equation, what's the first thing we do? We look for what's safe, known, and comfortable and we hang on. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we're built. Now, so so one of the first things I do, you know, and with and it, with clients when I'm working with them on gravity or when I'm talking to small businesses, is you have to start to question why do I believe that. So the first thing I ask people to do is okay. So write down the things you know about yourself and about your business. The truth. I know that this has to be this way. I know that this is right. I know that this is the way I do things, those kinds of things. And then begin to ask yourself questions. Why do I believe that? Where's the evidence that that's true? Is that true because I have evidence and I've talked to customers and I've talked to other people and it's relevant today, or is that true because that's the way it was true five years ago and I'm still believing it? Right. Is there a better way? Have I looked for a better way? Is there a shift I can make? And, and let me give you let me give you a really quick example. I have a friend that I sent an advance reader's copy of Defy Gravity to probably three months before it was launched. And his name's Randy Seitz, and he's the CEO of a business called the Oil Region Alliance in Pennsylvania. And he's basically he's running a supercharged chamber of commerce in a huge oil production. You know, it's oil wells everywhere. And what he does is he helps develop small business. He helps work in international trade. He helps bring more man, more oil refineries, big business into the area. And he's got a large team. He's been doing this for 20 years. and But he is a nonprofit, right? Now, so he's going out to businesses in this economy asking them to donate to him to help other businesses grow. How would you like hmm. to be in that market right now, <laughs> right? 
not exactly my favorite idea. So I had sent him the book, and he called me out of the blue one morning. He goes, I just ordered five books on Amazon, and I want you to sign them for my team. Would you please, can I send them to you? And I'm like, Randy, you do not have to buy five books because you're my friend, right? Just, And he's like, I'm not doing that for that. I want him to read it. You just solved my problem. And I said, what do you, tell me, what's your problem? And he said, Rebel, I'm a barnacle on everybody's butt. I go out with my hand out, and I ask for money from businesses, and what I should be doing is going out and teaching them how to make money because that's what I've done for 20 years. And it has been driving me nuts. And I've been beating my head against a wall for a year since I took over this this alliance. And I have been focused on how do I get more donations? How do I show them the value of what they get for donating? How do I do things that will get them to donate? How do, I, how do I find a way to get these people who really don't have the money to ante up? And he said, so I'm sitting here and I'm doing one of your exercises. And I started writing down my notes. And my knowns were, I have, between myself and my other three leaders, we have 80 years of business development experience. We've been through three economic ups and downs. We can help our businesses in this area get through this up and down. We are a nonprofit. We are funded by donations from larger businesses. And he says, I sat there and I looked at that, and all of a sudden it hit me. What if it wasn't donations? Why do I feel like I have to be funded by donations? I have a team between myself and my other three leaders that has 80 years of business development experience. We have been through three economic ups and downs. We have been consultants, all of us, for at least 20 years. (laughs) Why don't I go out and sell my team and myself as consultants to these larger businesses that have money, and instead of going out with my hand out begging for cash, I'll go out and say, I'm going to come in and offer you value, and in return for your, quote, donation, I'm going to consult for you, and I'm going to help you with your growth problem. So I'm delivering a valuable service, and they are giving me money in return for that service, and I will take that money, and I will fund my nonprofit activities. He changed one word in his vocabulary. Instead of, I I am funded by donations, Mm-hmm. I am funded by consulting revenue from big from these same businesses. So right. what he right. did was he had a chance to look at his value and because he changed his brain and thought differently, just took a step out. He was able to look at his value differently and see that his value wasn't just as a nonprofit run things for the small businesses to help them come on board. I can use my value in my core team to go offer valuable services to the businesses who I now look at as donors, they can become my clients. And I can run that business as a revenue business and then self-fund my nonprofit activities. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what he's doing. He sold his board, and he is on schedule right now. He started this process about two and a half months ago. He's on schedule right now to be fully self-funded by this time next year with a 50% increase in programs he's delivering. That's amazing. And see, you know, I mean, I am such a big believer in that. And again, uh, most of the people on this call are are a part of the travel industry, and our industry has been so locked down in, you know, really a single business model for the most part. I mean, there's part of the industry that that has an advertising and, and sponsorship model, but for the most part, you know, commerce is is the model in our business. So, 
I have a couple of people I'd like to buy the book and send it to. So we'll we'll have to see how that works out. So you know, moving on, uh, I want to just hit on on some of the key chapters that that really appealed to right. me. Okay. Um, really, chapter two is, is actually one I can't uh, I can't bypass. It it talks about it's our our best and biggest seller, but even as we lift them higher, our best sellers may be dragging us down. When oh, yeah. when is it time to retire things and to move on? Well, and it's, you know, we, we all, you know, the, the chapters you're talking about now, you know, the book starts out and talks a little bit about what is, you know, principles of flight and then what is gravity and how do we avoid gravity. And then we get into specific areas of gravity. And one of the areas of gravity that I see in every single client is is around it's our biggest seller because, you know what, our products become like our children. You know, and, and we look at them, we love them, we bring them together, we package them, we release them to the market, and they are like children, and we never see when they get old and tired and ugly. They're forever young and vibrant. And so what we tend to do is we'll have a product or we'll have a core service or we'll have something that really worked for us at some point in time. It was successful. And as that begins to mature, what we do is, well, we don't want to see it slip because it is our biggest seller. So we will add new services to it and give them away for free. We'll surround it with other products or other offerings. We'll discount it. We'll do whatever we have to do to make the revenue, the top-line revenue, look consistent on that product, even though we may be losing money on it. And what we don't do is look at our products as things – we don't look at our products as ever-changing, constantly evolving solutions to our customers' problems that are always changing and evolving because our markets are changing and evolving. Right. Right, And so what we end up with is we end up holding on to these. And sometimes it's not that the product isn't the right product. Sometimes it's the way we're delivering it. It's the way we're selling it. It's the way we're supporting it. It's what we're packaging it with. You know, And if you look in the travel industry, I mean, talk about huge changes in how you package what is a travel service, right? The, mm-hmm. What you looked at as a travel industry service five years ago isn't the same as it is today. Right. And you have to shift the way you think about what you're offering away from, you know, one of the things that creates gravity is success because over time what made us successful will become gravity as we as the markets evolve. And so you really have to take a hard look. And, and you know, Chapter 2, what I, what I spend a lot of time on in each of the chapters on gravity is what are the questions you need to ask yourself? around that bestseller, around that best customer, around that competitor, around those numbers, whatever. What are the questions you need to ask yourself to validate, is that still true? Is that a, is that assumption, that belief still true? Or is it true because I believe it, but in reality it's not true in my marketplace? And the way mm-hmm. you find out the answers to all these questions is you go ask the people that are the keepers of your truth. And I talk about keepers of the truth a lot because what we tend to do is we tend to get into our offices or with our teams or with our team of advisors, you know, like like your executive, you know, like your girls' club, and we all tend to talk about it. The problem is when we have a team that's together and talking about it inside, guess what? They don't matter because value is in the eye of the beholder, and guess who the beholders are? The people that that buy. (laughs) That would be the customer. And if they... So, you know, we end up, and this is natural, too. We're taught in business. Get our teams together and brainstorm. 
Who cares what your team thinks? I mean, I'm sorry, but your team doesn't buy your products and they don't put dollars on the table. Your customers do. So where we need to go when we talk about our products, our value, our opportunities, what we're doing, what's not working, what's working, how should we think out of the box and ditch our gravity, is to go out and talk to our customers. And not just, you know, the other thing we do is we tend to talk to our favorite customers, right? We have the people we know and love, and they're our friends, and we pretty much know what they're going to say. And so those are the people we go ask advice from, which is human, natural human instinct. Where you're really going to learn is from the customer that's mad at you, from the customer that left you, from the prospect that didn't buy from you but instead went to somebody else. That's where you're going to learn where your value isn't, what you need to resolve that, what's happening in other areas that's new and different, that's attractive, that you can bring into your organization. So, you know, instead of talking to that favorite band of customers that loves you and adores you, go talk to the people that aren't working with you, never heard of you, are with a competitor, are mad at you, are, you know, they will be the ones that will give you the insights about those products and those opportunities and get you thinking differently. Because the whole idea is get yourself out of the pattern thinking and beliefs that are limiting your ability to see new opportunities and new ways of looking at your business. Well, and as you, uh, one of your chapters is actually about opportunity and, and talking about, you know, here you face this huge opportunity, but is it an opportunity for big success or big failure? I was talking to somebody at this conference this week, and she had just uh, lost a big client opportunity. It wasn't somebody she already had as a customer, but uh, had pitched something and, and lost the business. And, you know, and I just asked her to sit back and, and just ask herself whether that wasn't just, uh, you know, being protected from, you know, something down the road that could have actually hurt her out of that opportunity. So I'm interested to hear about this whole opportunity analysis uh, well, as I- it relates to gravity. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the pieces of gravity that we all inherit, and we're all taught this, big is better, right? So right. if it's a big is successful, big is better, big is the holy, you know, if you can find a big company to be your client, then everything else will be easy afterwards, right? <laughs> And so what we end up in is we end up in this we end up chasing these big opportunities and and not in all arenas but in many arenas we look at you know I call it the the bright lights big city complex you know mm-hmm. oh they're big and they're magnificent and they're offering me this opportunity and I'm not going to make a dime on this first deal and it's probably going to cost me money but wow once I get them look at how good the PR is going to be and they'll give me they'll pay me better on the next deal I know they will and I'll make it up on the volume, right? We've never said that to ourselves, have we? And how many times does it come true? A, quite often they don't pay us any better on the next deal. The PR really doesn't work because it it, it takes us down. You know, We don't get a lot of awareness out of the big company. And if we do, it may not be worth the pain in the butt they become to us as we try to service and support them. Right. It also, the other thing we don't think about is, if especially if I'm a small business, So I'm going to take this large account. What does that mean I can't do? What other pieces of business am I going to have to turn down? What other potentially more profitable pieces of business am I going to have to turn down? What resources am I going to have to dedicate to this big account? How am I going to have to grow my business to support this big opportunity? And is that really the best way and the most profitable way for me to grow my business going forward? Because it does put me in a risky position because every big opportunity takes resources. They suck time. They suck energy. They usually aren't as profitable as other opportunities. And they 
distract me from what may be a better path for my growth in my business. But yet, because it's bright like the big city, right, I I really want that deal, and so I'm going to go after that deal, or I'm going to go after that big company, and they may be the big company that sinks you. So you really have to take a hard look at, is this big opportunity in sync with where my strategic direction is and where I know I can be compelling and distinct? Does this big opportunity help me to add to that distinction, or does it take me in a different way? What are the opportunity costs of this big opportunity? What are the pure costs of this opportunity? What is the reality about the follow-on business? And and don't fool yourself. Oh, well, I'm going to get better margin on the next deal. That is not the case. Because if they paid you cheap this time, the next time they're going to expect it even cheaper. Absolutely. But but talking about distinction. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, moving on and talking about distinction, you, you also have a chapter talking about following your competition and and you know oh. I get hired so many times to do competitive studies and you know typically I want to tell them don't even waste your time on this let's look at how we can set you apart and make you a market leader because knowing what they're doing you know it just keeps you stuck well you know nothing you do that follows the competition is going to make you a market leader that by definition if you're if you're focused on the competition the view never changes you are always going to be behind them. So, and and I just had this conversation this morning with a, with a new client who, what some, somebody was telling me that they were they were you know knee deep into a feature by feature, cape, com, you know comparison of all the competitors. And I called the CEO after I got off the call and I said, stop that. It's a waste <laughs> of energy because if you are down to that level with the competition, a you have no clue what your customers looking for and what problems you're solving, right? <laughs> And B, if you're trying to meet to the competition, and by the way, this is one of the biggest pieces of gravity I see. I walk into a company and I say, why did you lose that business? Oh, well, because the competition has this feature and we don't. And how many times do you think that's really true? Not. Well, in our industry, it's, very rarely. It's very rarely the reason. It is the excuse because it's the way we've been programmed that we have to be, you know, if somebody's got more cookies than we do, we have to have the same cookies. And that in no way makes us distinct. And, in fact, the reason most people buy has less to do with the features and the capabilities than it does to do with do they believe, we can sol- do they believe that, that we as our vendor can solve their problem? Do they trust us with our expertise? Do they believe we'll be for them to service them, right? And can we basically solve the problem in a way that is acceptable to them? And whether it's the same way as the competition doesn't really matter. What matters is when we bring that up and start to lead the conversation that way. Right. Right. How we're going to win is not by following our competition. We're going to win by following our customers and understanding what their problems are, what their needs are, what their pain is. And, you know, their pain doesn't have to be a big, huge problem. Sometimes it's a very simple pain called gee, I want to have somebody I can trust and I can hand this to it and it's right. done and I know I can get home at 5 o'clock at night. I'm not going to have any repercussions. So if we go out and really, if we spent the time we spend in competitive analysis, in customer analysis and talking to our customers, our unhappy ones, our prospects, people we've never talked to that are total strangers and understand what their needs are, if we took all that time and applied it that way, we would be much farther ahead on defining compelling differentiation than we are when we do it, the, oh, let's follow like a cow off of a cliff. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yet we do it because we've been trained to do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I certainly have been party to it and and being hired to do just that. So uh, so let's shift gears to uh, talking about high velocity growth because that that's really the the uh, counterpoint to talking about being held down by gravity. So, what's the first step in actually you know shedding the weight of gravity and getting into that high velocity? Place? Well, the, the 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 steps to shedding gravity are really you know, start questioning everything. And, and I don't mean everything. You know, somebody said, well, I can't question everything. And I'm like, well, don't question whether or not you go to the bathroom or not. Right? I mean, <laughs> right? that's not why do I do this. But what I did, you know, when I first started writing a book, it was interesting because I started really paying attention to gravity in my own life and in my own thinking. And the way I did it was I just started asking myself questions. So, when I would be going along and I'd be thinking about something and I'd feel this push of, well, no, it has to be that way. Or, well, no, I can't change that. No, you're not going to change that. That I learned that any time I had that kind of a, of a, you know, a strong reaction to things, there was generally some gravity around that. So I started just asking myself, why do I believe that? Why do I think that's true? Why, how do I know that's true? Where's the evidence that that is a fact today in my world? Where's the customer I talked to that would tell me that was true? Right? Where, where, when was the last time I checked that? Have I looked at other options? Are there other options? And what I learned was that the more emotionally attached I was to something and some belief about what I could or couldn't do, the more gravity was associated with it. And some of it was beliefs. I'll give you a, you, you want to hear, a, this is a really, I'll, I'll make this quick, but this is, here's a great gravity story on me. And I tell it for the podium, so remind me I can't tell it next year with you guys. Because uh, <laughs> okay. I don't want to bore everybody. But I actually tell a much longer version on the podium. But So when I started writing my book, all my girlfriends and all my friends who were published said, oh, you got to have a New York agent and you got to have a New York publisher. It's the first time off. So I said, okay. So I went out and I got a New York agent. I got a really great agent. He and I started talking, and he wanted to change the book a lot, and he wanted a how-to book for complex sales. And I was like, I don't want to write that book, right? I want to write this book. I know what I know that can help people, and I've done this. Well, no, I want this. Well, then we started went to a couple of publishers, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's your first book, honey, and you don't really want to do anything stressful, so why don't you write how to, how to do PR, how to do whatever. <laughs> You know, and I was like, what? And actually, I had one guy tell me, why don't you do something a little more girly like PR? <gasps> right? And I was like, oh, my God. And I just finally went, you know what? I do not want to write a how-to book. I want to write what I know how to write. And, yes, could I write a how-to-do marketing book? Yes, but there's a million of them out there. This book isn't out there. This this book on how to change the way you think about your business, not process and not paint by numbers, but how do you think, isn't out right. there, and this is what I want to write. So I went back to my agent, and I told him, look, this is the book I want to write. I think we need to go back to the marketing plans that we had originally, and here's what I want to do. The next day, he fired me. My agent fires me because he says that, you know, I got an email from him that says that in no way does he want to represent a book that is about teaching people how to change the way they think in order to grow their business, that that's not needed in this market. And I thought to myself, really? Okay. So, you know, I was devastated, as you can imagine. I mean, I was freaked because here I am, oh, my God, my dream come true. It's not going to happen, and oh, my God, and I'm, like, sobbing, and I'm calling friends, and nobody's around. 
I finally called a friend of mine named Scott McCain, who is a Hall of Oh, Fame I've interviewed speaker. Scott. You know Scott, right? So I Scott's do. one of my coaches. I called oh, Scott, cool. and Scott's, you know, Scott answers the phone, and I just start babbling. Oh, my God, it's never going to happen. What am I going to do? And he's, he is so good. He just listens and listens. And finally, when I shut up, he started laughing. I mean, he, that big belly laugh he has, you know, that deep, very white belly laugh. And I said, Scott, how can you be laughing at me? And he's like, Rebel, who told you you needed a New York publisher? And I said, well, everybody told me I needed a New York publisher and a New York agent. And he's like, that is so old school. That is gravity out the gazoo. He goes, are you kidding? In this day and age, you don't want a New York publisher. They are dinosaurs. They are clueless. You want somebody new age, new thinking, zero gravity thinker that gets what you're doing. And he goes, I would never let you go to a New York publisher. And you know what? He introduced me to Clint Greenleaf, who runs Greenleaf Book Group. And in 10 days, I was signed with them, and I wrote the book I wanted to write. Oh, that's so great. But think about that gravity. Here I am writing about gravity, and here I am following everybody else's advice that says, well, you Mm. have to have a New York publisher to get ahead in the publishing industry. That was true 10 years ago. Right. That might have been true five years ago. Today, it is the farthest thing from the truth. In fact, as a first-time author going to New York publisher, I mean, you can do it, but you are not going to get any control. You're not going to own your rights. You're not going to be able to write the book you want. You're going to get next to no marketing support. And it's going to be frustrating. Whereas with Greenleaf, I got an editor that helped me write the book. I got everything my way. I That cover that you love, we had a huge, huge distributor refuse to take the book because of the cover, and Greenleaf wanted me to change the cover, and I wouldn't do it. Good for because you. Because the cover was the right cover. And guess what? The huge distributor ordered the largest order ever of a first-time author from Greenleaf two weeks before the book published, mm. after they said they wouldn't. So here I am following the way it's always been done and beating my head against a wall that would have probably tanked me in the long run, all because I was stuck in the gravity of the publishing business and I didn't even know I was stuck in it. That's how sneaky gravity is. Mm-hmm. Right? So what you have to do is you have to really examine your assumptions about everything. And you have to look and say, is this really true today? So and then once you so then once you kind of start examining everything and questioning yourself, then I always go back to a really fundamental, simple business principle when it comes to talking to clients about how do you find your growth. And that fundamental principle is we grow our businesses when we provide distinct value, distinct value. Right that compels our markets to buy from us to solve a problem, right? So that Mm -hmm. means we want distinct value, we want markets who are compelled to buy that value, and we want to solve problems. So if you ditch, so the second whole half of the book, the first half is all about how do you ditch your gravity, how do you find it, and how how do you release it. The second half is now that I have released my gravity, how do I really look at my value and find out what is really my distinct value? Because my, nine times out of ten, when you go talk, when I go talk to a client or I talk to a company, they'll tell me what their value is, and then I go talk to their ten, ten diverse customers, 
and the diverse customers will tell me something totally different than the company believes. Hmm. So you get out. Yeah, that's that's to, actually not surprising. I mean, from yeah. what I from what I know in in my corporate consulting, it's very very similar. Right. So so what we do is we go back and we start to examine what is our distinct value in this market today, and what do our our keepers of the truth, our customers and prospects, what do they really think about us? And that helps us to get more clear on our distinct value because now we're not making the assumptions from the past. We're actually, what is it today? What do they think today? And we're realigning our thinking without those blindfolds on and without the weight of that gravity. We then, so and the, whole, and the first two chapters of the second section of the book are all about what is value and how do you define it and then how do you apply this to your business. Then the next two chapters are okay. Now I know what my value is. How do I know what my best markets are? And this is another place where we get stuck in gravity because we have those favorite customers and we right. follow them. And often those favorite customers may not be the best way for me to grow my business in the future. I may have a huge opportunity in another market or in a different customer profile that I can't even see because I'm so focused on my current customers that I'm not looking at it. So mm-hmm. it's a so the second the second the, the second thing in this, in the second section is how do I look at market opportunities because we do have 360 degrees of opportunity. They may not Yeah, all, I love that good. visual, you know, where yeah. you talk about the horizons of opportunity. So we have we have a 360 degree horizon of opportunity. We can fly in any direction. The question becomes what flight route, you know, and it can be connecting flights, it can be direct flights into a market. But what flight route leverages the best distinction of our value into a markets that we can win today that then that win, that success and that referenceability and that that recommendation can then help us be successful in that next market and that next. And I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, not just how do you map your value, you know, how do you define your market opportunities, but then how do you map your value into those markets and then right. how do you plan a flight route so that you know you can't possibly chase everything at once but what you can, because you'll kill yourself you know you'll be 360 right. degrees and you won't be focused but what you can do is a step by step that says I'm going to focus on this set of customers today with this value and from there I'm going to be building these other two pieces of value for this next customer segment but the first customers I get I can leverage into that second one because they're leaders and the second one, second segment will see that I have them, and that will give me credibility. And so, so it's all about how do you build leveraged plans that allow you to grow in ways that leverage across your markets, leverage your values, so that everything leverages everything, so nothing is one-off from mm-hmm. one different direction. right? And then I talk about now how do you plan it, how do you monitor it, because the other thing we don't do well is we don't monitor progress. You know, we have quarterly updates, and we have – you know, six month plan. You know, six month numbers and all of this stuff. We don't look at things to say, "Gee, you know, I'm ahead of schedule. Maybe I should accelerate some of my things that I have in planning." Or, "Gee, I didn't meet this specific deadline on this, and that means these five other things I'm going to have to shift them." But it may that one thing may not be part of what we're checking in our numbers, and so we don't know it until it's too late, and all of a sudden we failed, and we don't know why. Right. Right. So. So that's kind of that's kind of a high overview of what we're, what we talk what I talk about in the second half of the book. 
Wow. Well, I just I can't wait until March, and uh, I'm hoping that everyone who's listening will uh, put the Executive Women's Forum on their calendar because I think we are going to just have an amazing time. And I, you know, as I was looking through the different chapter headers of your book, I, I'm just envisioning how we can kind of plot out our day, you know, because we, we right. spend uh, half a day together. And in the past, we've we've used a, a little bit of a different format. This is the first time uh, that the Executive Girlfriends Group is going to be running the Executive Women's Forum, and, and I am just getting some great ideas, so can't wait to brainstorm with you on that. Rebel, can you let folks know the best way uh, to be engaged with you? And, and, you know, for some people it's Twitter, for some it's Facebook, some it's LinkedIn, yeah. some it's yeah. just getting on your, your mailing list. How do you like to communicate? You you can you know what I communicate anyway anybody wants to communicate. <laughs> um, so you can find me. My website is rebelbrown.com. Twitter is rebelbrown. Facebook is the Rebel Nation is my business page. Uh, if you, uh, it's Rebel Brown Challenging the Status Quo or the Rebel Nation. Uh, LinkedIn is Rebel Brown. And if you go on my website, if you look on my website just below the banner in the left sidebar, you'll see a place where you can opt in to receive Rebel News. And that's my weekly newsletter. And what I do with that is I do um, I send out all the blogs and articles I write and videos I do during a week, and then I also do a Defy Gravity update every week with you know what's going on with the book, with products, where am I speaking, you know, radio shows, all those kinds of things. Well, Rebel, I am also I, I didn't get to this before the call, but I'm sending you an invitation also to our private Executive Girlfriends Group platform, which will give you a place to record what you just told us, so that okay. our members will be able to just go on there and they'll okay. be able to click on your profile. And um, you, within our platform, you have the ability, if you have a blog, you can simply copy your blog in, into our site, and then everyone uh, has access to that. So they don't have to think about where to find you in order okay. to be able to, to okay. follow you. So uh, I'll be happy to walk that uh, walk you through that. But thank you again so much. Thank you, and, and I'm so looking forward to March. We'll We'll come up with some fun things to do. Oh, I think so. I, I just can't wait, and I know Cynthia is uh, anxious to uh, to start that planning and promotion process. So we'll be doing that, and so just stay tuned, everyone, and and we will keep you posted on that. And uh, with that, I am going to stop the recording because what's said on the rest of the egg call says stays on the re- egg call. Hang on. <laughs> 